Let's pray together. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You've said, O God, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptations. I pray that you would help us to see the shattering importance of that promise with reference to the baby in the manger in the text that you've given us this evening. Come now and give me the very help that I intend to proclaim. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I'll invite you to take a Bible and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Uh, If you didn't come with one, that's all right. We've got plenty in the seats in front of you or perhaps next to you. The text is found on page 1002 in the Red Bibles, 1002 in those Red Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Uh, Perhaps like me, some of you are in the home stretch of a, a Bible reading plan that you may be putting the wraps on this next week. Uh, it's possible, too, at this point, you're simply repenting and cutting your losses and making resolutions for 2015 with regard to Bible reading. I've, I've been there. I know that side of it, too. Um, the reading plan that we post on the website is the one that I use, and although I've, I left off probably a couple of months ago uh, blogging in earnest through Scripture, I am still reading, and I'm in the final movements of the New Testament and, and uh, have enjoyed that reading this past week. Um, one of the advantages of a Bible reading plan that just takes you straight through all 66 books back to back to back is that you have the daily reminder that the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are one story. One single story. The Bible's a story that begins in a garden and it ends in a city and all the way through it points to Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a single story. Now, the disadvantage of a Bible reading plan like that is that there's really no way to fittingly appropriate and appreciate exactly what took place between Malachi and Matthew. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, Again, the Bible reading plan that we have posted on the website has you in Malachi on October 1st, and then you begin Matthew chapters 1 to 4 on October 2nd. Uh, In other words, if you use this plan, then your intertestamental period, uh, your period, the space of time between the Old and New Testaments is about 24 hours when in point of fact, the true intertestamental period was a little bit longer than that. Well, I don't recommend taking a 400-year break in your Bible reading plan. It is critical for us to understand that that's precisely what God did with reference to his prophetic word between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years passed without so much as one prophetic word from God Not one fresh word from God in all that time. And then 2,000 years ago, something happened. Precisely, someone happened. Luke tells us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Why did God become a man? 
What's the reason for this season? If you were to ask the author of the book of Hebrews, the answer might simply come back with one word, help. Help. In the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers us two kinds of help. The first kind of help that God offers us in the birth of his son is this. Point number one, help that takes hold from above in salvation. Help that takes hold from above in salvation. Follow along with me and I'll read Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 16. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham." In the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers us help that takes hold from above in salvation. Verse 14, I hope you see it, is an explicit reference to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You may have never thought of Hebrews chapter 2 as a Christmas text. It definitely is that. Verse 14 says that the Son of God partook of flesh and blood. It's a clear confession of the the incarnation, the, the human nature of Jesus And notice the the purpose of Christmas is right there in the middle of verse 16. Children share in flesh and blood. He partook of the same things that through death. Let's hold it up right there. Through death. Verse 16 connects the manger with the cross. You see that there? Jesus had a mission. A mission that in God's design was not simply about the life of of his son, but about the death of his son. Jesus was, to put it simply, born to die. Nearly 150 years ago, author William Dix penned the lines, Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and lamb are feeding? Good Christians fear, for sinners here the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me. For you, hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Children partake in flesh and blood. This one did too. He took part in flesh and blood that he might die. Now, according to verses 14 and 15, the death of this child will one day achieve two dual aims. One is the destruction of the devil And the other is the deliverance of his people, both of them in 14 and 15 here. Verse 14, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus' birth aims at the destruction of Satan's empire. 1 John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And at the cross, that's precisely what Jesus did. His death dealt a mortal wound to the one who has the power of death. Now, that's not the only thing that the death of Jesus did. 
Verse 14 goes on to tell us that he also died to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Who's that? That's human beings. That's you and me. And you say, yeah, but verse 16 really says it's the offspring of Abraham that he helps. And of course, yes, <laughs> that's why this is such good news for you and me. Galatians 3.26 and following says that in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So verse 16 puts it this way. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. We ought never to forget on on this score the the privilege of salvation. Um, For angels, there is no salvation. Puritan Matthew Henry writes, He did not lay hold of angels, but he lays hold of the seed of Abraham. The angels fell, and he let them go. Christ never designed to be the Savior of fallen angels. As their tree fell, so it lies, and must lie to eternity. See, God is under no compulsion to save any one of us. He demonstrated that with the third of the angelic hosts that fell from grace long ago. Yes, salvation comes through faith, but that faith rests on grace. Now, the author of Hebrews doesn't use the word grace there. He uses another word. It's a synonym for grace. It's the word help. It's the word we started this point with. It's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now, this is my aha moment the past 48 hours studying this text. I'd never seen this before. The word translated help here is featured repeatedly in the pages of the Bible. But what's curious about the usage here in Hebrews 2, 17, excuse me, 16, is that it's the only time in the entire New Testament that it's actually translated help. The word literally means to to take hold of or to take by the hand. It's a word that points to a very specific sort of help, namely help from above. That's literally how you might translate this, to lay hold of from above. Now, in Matthew 14, Jesus walks on water. Remember that? Jesus walks on water, and Peter goes out to Jesus, also walking on the water, but then he gets scared, and he starts to sink. And then in Matthew Chapter 14, verse 30, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And in verse 31 of Matthew 14, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of Peter. Can you picture it? You have that vivid picture in your mind? Okay. That's the exact same word the author of Hebrews here uses, and he translates it, help. Help from above. Now, you don't even have to leave the book of Hebrews to see this word do its work. If you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 9, 
There's a quotation from the prophet Jeremiah. And there the deliverance of the people of Israel is spoken of in the Exodus. And in Hebrews 8, 9, God says, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That phrase, took them by the hand, that's the word for help here in Hebrews 2.16. Now, what's, what's the cash value for us? Well, in the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers help. The first kind of help is help that takes hold of from above in salvation. Did you come here this evening separated from your Creator? Do you need that kind of help tonight? Did you know that you don't have to leave here that way? God wants to help you. It's not angels that he helps. He has his designs on people. If you are drowning tonight in a sea of bad choices or confusion or rebellion, just tell Jesus tonight what Peter told him so long ago. Lord, Save me, and he will. He will reach down, and he'll grab you by the wrist, and he'll rescue you. He will. If you're with us tonight, and you are a believer, perhaps you're headed from this place to a family gathering, or maybe over the next week or so, maybe a group of friends, and they are as lost as the day is long. I want to say on the authority of Hebrews 2, 14 to 16, Don't give up hope. Keep praying. In the incarnation of Christ that you celebrate this Christmas, God is still in the business of offering this sort of help. Help that takes hold from above. Second point tonight. In the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers us two kinds of help. Here's the second kind, and it's just for believers. Help that supports from underneath in temptation. Help that supports from underneath in temptation. Follow along with me once more. I'm going to read Hebrews 2, 17 to 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers us help. He offers us help, support from underneath in temptation. Now, notice that verses 17 and 18 have built within them the exact same infrastructure as verses 14 to 16. In verse 17, there's a clear affirmation of the incarnation of Christ. Do you see that? Verse 17 says really strongly, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Now, granted, there's no shepherds here, there's no strips of cloth, there's no manger, but this is a Christmas text. You see that? He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. What's the purpose of this? Verse 17 tells us, so that he might become one day a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
You see, one thing Jesus did 2,000 years ago in taking on human flesh was that he might become our high priest. And as our high priest, Jesus offered himself on the cross as a wrath-bearing, Satan-crushing, sin-atoning sacrifice. Jesus' death propitiates God. That's not a word we use very often, but it means uh, satisfies. Jesus satisfies the penalty that our sins deserve. And now because of that death, when you are in Christ, God is absolutely, positively, 100% for you. Do you believe that tonight? If you are a Christian, that God is for you? That's really good news. Because Satan still desires to sift you like wheat. Your enemy has a mortal wound, but this day, to this day, this night, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And if you're a believer, you're on his hit list. Add to that that your greatest enemy isn't outside you at all. He's inside you. Your greatest enemy is you. The Bible says that my biggest problem is thinking that I'm not the biggest problem. The Bible says that the heart of the matter is my heart is the matter. James tells us in James 1, 13 to 15, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, if that's depressing to you, then I invite you to look with fresh eyes at the promise of Hebrews 2, 18. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus had to be made like us in every respect. He knew weaknesses. He knew limits. He knew suffering. He knew profound temptation. Jesus knew temptation that you and I will simply never know. The reason why is because he never gave in. Ever. That's why he's our hero. He's the only person on planet Earth who knows the true undiluted force of temptation. And he broke its back with his life. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, there's several parallels between Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, and Hebrews 2, 17 to 18. I just want to flag one of them for us to consider as we close, and that's the word help. The word for help used in Hebrews 2, 18 is not the same word for help that's used in Hebrews 2, 16 but it is the same word for help that's used in Hebrews 4.16. It's two different words, both translated help. And I think that's okay. 
Um, the neat thing about the English word help is that it really is a multifaceted word. Um, Christ, when he came, brought with him all kinds of help. He's a comprehensive savior with a, with a bag slung over his shoulder that is filled and stuffed with all sorts of aid and assistance and relief. One sort of help is the help that takes hold from above. The other is a sort of help that supports from underneath. Now, this is probably the most fascinating occurrence of this word in the New Testament. Um, and you can look it up with me if you want and just take my word for it. But in Acts 27, 17, we see the word for help. In Acts 27, 17, Paul, the Apostle Paul and his companions are being tossed on a ship in the Mediterranean. And they're trying with all their might to secure their ship's boat and rigging. And Acts 27, 17 says, After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. And it's right here where we see our word for help. It's the noun form. It's translated support. Now picture it. Your own desires want to toss you overboard this season into a sea of sin. And without outside assistance, that is precisely what will happen to you. But Hebrews 2.18 says that Jesus himself suffered when tempted. Jesus' boat was buffeted and it reeled and it rocked with temptation his whole life. But through his dependence upon the Holy Spirit, his inseparable companion, Jesus never capsized. The waters of temptation that surrounded our Savior were never, ever calm, and he never, ever keeled over. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means this Advent, in this Christmas season, in this new year, that not only are you, if you're a believer, indwelt with the same spirit that Jesus leaned on his whole life, that's true, but it also means that in Jesus you have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. He finds himself profoundly moved by your temptations. And in every respect, he's been tempted as you are, yet without sin. And our text says, because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able, he's mighty. By the way, that word able is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. He's mighty, he's powerful to support you in your temptation. He's able to help. In the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers us help. He offers us help from underneath, help to support in temptation. So if you're a Christian, here's the good news for you. Jesus didn't just die for you. You died with him. Jesus didn't just merely lose his life for you back then. He's living his life through you right now. In Galatians 2.20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that we live in the Son of God, we live by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Are you living out your union with Christ this Christmas season? You can. He died for your sins. Don't live for them. He died for your sins, all of them. And he now lives that you might live through him. Help, 
has come. So Luke tells us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Why did the Son of God become man? What's the reason for the season? That's the reason. The incarnation of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas, God offers help. Two kinds of help in particular. Help that takes hold from above in salvation. Do you know him tonight? Help that supports from underneath in temptation. Are you living like you know him tonight? A very Merry Christmas to each and every one of you this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus died so that his death might be the death of death. (laughs) That his death might be the place of crucifixion for all of our sin. I pray, Father, that you might do the remarkable work of new birth. Perhaps you have done it in the last few minutes as somebody has turned from their sin and put their faith in the Savior whose birth we celebrate tonight. Lord, cause the new birth to happen even this evening. And I pray, Lord, for those who have come in with appropriate security of their salvation, who came in to celebrate and rejoice in the birth of their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would open up new possibilities this season and this new year for holiness. I pray that you would create the conditions in our souls for growth in Christ-likeness. Lord Jesus, we want to be just like you. we're, We're thankful that you love us as we are, but we thank you that you refuse to leave us the way that we are. Please come and do a work of renovation in each of our hearts, in our church, and in the churches that are represented here. For the glory of Jesus, we ask it, whose second advent we look forward to this night. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.